MSW Media. Rudy Giuliani's under criminal investigation. What does this mean for him and for Donald Trump? Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name's Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a CNN legal analyst. I'm usually joined by my friend Patty Vasquez, but once again, she's busy on the campaign trail, I think a few, at least a few months ago. Uh, so I am going to get right to bringing in my guest uh, because, look, we have a lot to discuss. The news keeps evolving. I, I know that since I announced this topic, Mulvaney has admitted that there is a quid pro quo. We have the emoluments clause issue that was raised by the Doral Golf Course. We'll try to cover those topics a little bit today. But I want to focus a lot on what the implications are of the investigation of Rudy Giuliani and his associates because it has some really important implications. And I've got a great guest who can help us understand that. And that's Mimi Roca. Many of you know her because she's an MSNBC legal analyst, but before that, she was a federal prosecutor in the Southern District of New York for many years, and so she has a lot of experience uh, in that office going after people like Rudy Giuliani. Welcome back, Mimi. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Renata. So I think we've, we've discussed there are many different uh, news topics that have come up even since Giuliani's um, you know, the announcement that Giuliani was a, the subject of a criminal investigation. But wow, it's huge news. And I think it's it's something that I think isn't getting enough attention because it's it has, I think, profound implications, not only for Trump and his presidency, but I think it, it, there could be other people that are caught up in all of this. Absolutely. I mean, I think that people may not quite understand, first of all, just the significance of someone like Rudolph Giuliani himself being under investigation. He was a former United States attorney of the Southern District of New York, where I worked and where, you know, we've talked about just a very prestigious federal prosecutor office. And he was the mayor of New York. Um, so in and of itself, it's just simply stunning that, you know, we're at this point, even if he doesn't get charged, although, as we'll discuss, I think probably will. Um, but also because of its connection to Giuliani, uh, to, I'm sorry, to Trump um, and a potential connection and, um, and and other people in the inner circle. It's exactly right. I mean, you know, I, I am from Chicago and here if, you know, for instance, my former boss, Pat Fitzgerald, was under criminal investigation, uh, that would be a, a humongous story in Chicago uh, because he certainly has a reputation of being the opposite. I have no reason, by the way, to believe he's ever done anything like that, anything wrong. Right. But but similarly, you know, if, if Rahm Emanuel or some other former mayor, Rich, Richard Daly, was under investigation, that would be amazing for that to be all wrapped up in one person. Is huge, and if, by the way, the president's lawyer, and we've already been here, was under investigation and wasn't either of those two things, that would be a huge deal. Here we have all three of those things in one, and yet in the news cycle of 2019, we've already kind of moved on to other topics. It's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it, it really is. But I I think hopefully 
people, you know, your listeners understand just how, how significant this is. And, and, and the other thing I would say is I think that because Giuliani, we've, he's been so public and, and, and you know, a lot of us have been talking about sort of what's going on with him. He seemed more and more reckless himself and sort of the things that he's willing to say publicly. So in that sense, I think, you know, unlike, for example, it, person of complete integrity, you know, like a Pat Fitzgerald or somebody that that would never happen. And, you know, you, you would fall on the floor if anyone ever told you it did. With Giuliani, we've been like watching it happen a little bit in real time, I think. Not that we expected him to be a criminal, but it, I think for that reason also maybe doesn't hasn't had quite the shock factor. But it is it is so serious. I mean, it really is uh, for him and for the country. Absolutely. I agree. And I and I will say, too. One thing that's interesting about this and the reason that I really wanted to talk about this is I will tell you, Mimi, ever since um, the the arrest of his two associates, um, the, Ukra- the Ukrainian associates, I, I have been thinking about what this means for Giuliani and there's all these issues raised by it, but I haven't really written a lot about them because to me, the arrest of Giuliani raises more questions than it does answers. And I think one kind of set of implications that it has is around his role as a spokesperson for Trump. You know, you just mentioned a moment ago, he's such an outspoken uh, advocate for Trump. He's out there. He's Trump's guy on all of the uh, talk shows. Um, that seems to me like if if Giuliani had any sense, I mean, he's a very, uh, you know, had a storied legal career. Uh, he would be saying very little about this subject going forward. You would think that this would impact his ability to be a spokesperson for Trump. Yeah. I mean, there's no question that, frankly, I mean, if you remember back, and this is one of the things that sort of ties back to the whole Ukra- uh, Giuliani and the whole Ukrainian, uh, I don't know, scandal or whatever we want, situation. Um, there was news reports about Giuliani going to Ukraine to uh, try and, you know, drum up uh, some kind of you know, investigation on the Bidens. I mean, this was, I, I forgot the timing, but whenever, whenever he was first about to do that, he was talking about it openly. And I remember on Twitter and in the news, there was, you know, this sort of, whoa, you can't go do that. That's, that's campaign finance fraud. And so he called off the trip. But then, like, I, again, my timing is off, but I think it was, I don't know, a month later or something, he went and did it again. And now we know from all of the facts that are coming out, that he, he, you know, he was really involved in it. So he pulled back a little bit, but then he went and did it in the face of, you know, frankly, free legal advice. You had legal experts weighing in all over the place <laughs> saying, don't do this. You know, this is this is illegal. Um, and while he's entitled to his own opinion, et cetera, um, you, you know, it, it, I think, was a sign of his recklessness. And so. I think part of the reason this is so important is that I think a lot of people, you know, Giuliani, like Trump, it sort of felt like he's been so brazen in his conduct and there's just been no accountability. So, again, not knowing whether he's going to get charged or not, I'm glad someone's looking at his conduct um, in a serious way because it feels like maybe it's bringing back some accountability. Well, for sure. I will say that it's very interesting to me to see the choices that Giuliani's making, because, of course, he claims he doesn't need a lawyer. 
Okay, first of all, which is itself right. shocking. Uh, one thing I will just tell uh, to everyone listening: if you are the subject of a federal criminal investigation, you most certainly need uh, a lawyer, uh, uh, one who is an experienced criminal defense attorney, even if you're an attorney yourself. And he ha- he had one. Well, that's it. Was so w- weird. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I mean. Yeah. So, I mean, I will just say uh, for the record here, I have prosecuted and convicted attorneys uh, of crimes, and I have also represented attorneys uh, who are themselves caught up in things, uh, criminal investigations and so forth. Attorneys usually are more careful than the typical person in the situation. And somebody like Giuliani, he's not just any attorney. He's a guy who is was a, a federal prosecutor himself, in fact, the head of an office of federal prosecutors, as you point out, a very prestigious and large office of federal prosecutors. So he should know the peril he's in. And, and you're right. He had this attorney, uh, uh, you know, very qualified attorney from Florida who was uh, a federal prosecutor, had been for many years and had been a first assistant and a whole bunch of other things and it had a lot of experience. And what that person said is, he said, I am only representing Giuliani as to responding to the subpoena from Congress. And once I write this, you know, two paragraph letter blowing off uh, Congress, which is itself was itself remarkable. uh, I'm done. My representation is done. And which means to me, it tells me one of two things. Either Giuliani's really out of cash, which surprises me because you'd think that somebody with his long legal career would at least be in a situation where somebody would owe him a favor and do this for cheap. Uh, and he's certainly got a lot of you know uh, powerful friends and important and influential friends like the former Attorney General Michael Mukasey and others. Uh, or uh, it tells me that he is not right of mind in some way. Well, and, and on that note, I mean, so first of all, I wonder this whole idea that that was his deal with, with his friend attorney, um, whose name I'm blanking on at the moment, but I remember that he uh, was a, you know, distinguished, uh, you know, a legit, like, white-collar criminal defense type of attorney. Um, this whole idea that that was their deal, that he was only going to represent him for this letter responding to, you know, I mean, I just, I, that doesn't seem quite right. I wonder if perhaps, as you know, sometimes attorneys give advice to clients and if they won't take it, you know, there's there's a parting of ways. I mean, that is one possibility of what happened here, um, because Giuliani blowing off Congress. You know, I mean, he <clears throat> that that may not have been the way he wanted to. The lawyer wanted uh, him to go. Um, it could be a financial situation. There was some reporting. I don't remember where I read it, but that um, actually Michael Mukasey's son, Mark Mukasey, who represents Trump, gave a loan to Giuliani recently. Oh, I, I didn't. I did not know that. I know Mark Mukasey. Who, yeah. Yes, I know Mark too. He's also an assistant from the Southern District of New York, and you know he's a great lawyer and good lawyer, and he's representing Trump in the Manhattan DA uh, tax battle. Yeah. Um, but I, I noticed it because I think it was Matt Miller on Twitter commented, "You know, wow, I didn't realize Giuliani was in such financial stra- straits that he had to borrow money from." Mark Mukasey. So it could be that he's got this ongoing divorce proceeding, um, apparently, Mm -hmm. that I think is causing him some issues. But, you know, the other sort of aspect of that is, as far as we know, he was not being paid by Trump, he Giuliani. So here's this guy who's got financial problems, but he's working for free for Trump. I mean, I understand he's the president and all, but it just has the makings of a person who maybe 
quite um, desperate, you know, financially and otherwise. And as you know, that's often what does lead people to commit crimes, people who wouldn't otherwise, right, is that they're sort of in a situation that they, you know, don't know how to get out of. And they and I'm not I'm not by any means excusing his conduct, especially someone like him, but that that could be sort of part of the mix of what happened here. And I, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. And I would. Yeah, exactly. And I agree with you, Mimi. It's not a justification, but what we're talking about here is motive. And I will, for example, you know, during the um, I was a federal prosecutor during the whole period of the um, financial crisis in 2008 and all of the aftermath of that. And there was a lot of folks that ended up that I charged and others uh, charged coming out of that because not because their their conduct was directly related to that, but because of that, they had financial pressure or uh, loss of liquidity or whatever it was that caused them to do things uh, that they might not have otherwise done if they weren't under a very difficult financial situation. They wanted to keep their business or whatever. Um, so they, they turned to fraud. So um, in this case, I mean, w- w- the reason this is all important when we're talking about Giuliani is to understand what's going on here is just so everyone understands, lawyers not only don't work for free, but they often require a lot of money up front because providing your legal services and then waiting for the client to pay your bill often leaves you with an unpaid bill. So, you know, it could be that this lawyer sees, oh, you're now the subject of a federal criminal investigation. That means generally a six figure retainer and Giuliani may not have the cash. Um so moving past that point, uh, though, let's talk about his liability. You said that you think Giuliani is likely to be charged. Can you explain to us, Mimi, what kind of the extent, of, what, what are the, the potential sources of liability that, that Giuliani has from your perspective? Well, right now I sort of view them as two separate but possibly related um, categories or buckets. So one is, you know, we have these two uh, men, well, four actually, um, but the one that I think we've sort of focused on the most, uh, Parnas and Truman, uh, these, uh, you know, Ukrainian Americans who I think the simplest way to describe them that I've, I've seen um, reported is basically sort of, um, you know, low level uh, Ukrainian organized crime figures, um, <laughs> you know, who, have been, who you know, and, and frankly, I'm sure you as well. I mean, I prosecuted a lot of people of that that they seem to fit in the mold of in terms of having, uh, you know, committed crimes in the past, some of which were serious, some of which were not um, kind of, a you know, a, a life of a pattern of, of fraud. Um, and, you know, here they are now charged in a in a pretty serious federal indictment. Um, that that is a fraud indictment. I mean, it's campaign finance fraud, but that it's a fraud scheme. Um, but it's you know somehow these two guys who sort of came out of nowhere, um, you know, no influence whatsoever. All of a sudden, we're making these huge donations and uh, we're accomplishing political inf- access and influence. Um, and they also separately. Uh, were, you know, basically, I think, setting up like what seems like a, possibly a shell company. Um, you know, their financing was coming from an unnamed Russian individual. Uh, I mean, there's just all sorts of different aspects, um, even just from the, the indictment. And, and I think this is probably just the surface of it. And in fact, the prosecutor said um I think it was yesterday in court to the judge that discovery in this case is, you know, multiple search warrants and 
um, text messages and other forms of communication. I mean, it seems like this is a, a bigger investigation than just this one indictment. Um, and so I don't think we've seen all the fruits of it yet. Um, but so the question is, what, if any, was Giuliani's role in sort of that um, scheme that we already see at least the surface of um, both the the primarily the campaign finance scheme, um, but, you know, other types of fraud. And one connection we know, I mean, other than Giuliani saying at various times, either calling them clients, calling them associates, uh, saying he represents them. I mean, there have been different ways he's labeled them, I think, but he clearly has a connection to them. But now we also know that he was paid $500,000 um, by these two men or through a company that, that they, I think, control. Um, and while Giuliani says, well, that money, you know, was from a domestic source, I, you know, we, we have no idea if that's true right now. So I think, I think one potential sort of bucket that I would put his potential crimes in is campaign finance fraud. If it turns out that uh, you know the the money that Giuliani was paid is similar to the money that these two men have been charged with receiving, uh, which is from a foreign national, because Giuliani and these two men, Parnas and Furman, were lobbying, were trying to get some of the same things accomplished, right? Like pushing out the ambassador to Ukraine, for example. And then separately, but again, related, I would say there's all this stuff surrounding, you know, the Trump, Yelensky, uh, president of Ukraine phone call and Giuliani's role in the whole shadow foreign policy, as it's called, um, and potential crimes that come out of that potential, such as, you know, bribery, um, I think would be the most, and also possibly uh, campaign finance. Uh, and, and whether Giuliani, you know, there may be a link between these two things, obviously, I, but right now I would put him in both of those categories where there's conduct that could potentially be criminal. And then I would say there may be a third piece, which is I, I, agree, I agree that those are two, the, two, two, the two biggest buckets of potential liability. And the third, and, and we're going to go through those, I think, in more detail in a moment. But the third, I would say all those, there's a third is other dealings he seems to have with Ukrainians that are now under investigation. Right. It seems like Giuliani's getting has other clients over there or yeah. he's getting other money. Right. And who knows what that is. But that that is not a good thing for Mr. Giuliani. Um, but we, we don't know much about that piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's focus on the two pieces that you have identified, which I think are right. So let's the first bucket. I mean, the way I would look at it, Mimi, and you tell me if you uh, would agree with this is, you know, these two gentlemen have been indicted for the scheme that has been outlaid in the laid out in the indictment. Giuliani's dealing with these men, working with these men, and there's money going going, uh, you know, you know, back and forth here. So. That is a problem for Mr. Giuliani because it, 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 all of that goes to his knowledge and involvement in what appears to be a criminal scheme by two people who have been uh, indicted. I mean, is that a fair way of looking at bucket one? Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> I think that's right. I mean, the, the fact that he just knows them, you know, obviously was sort of hmm, raises eyebrows, right? And the fact that he seems so intertwined, the fact that he received money from them. Um, and from their company, uh, you know, raises it to a whole other level. And again, I, I'm, I'm assuming there's a lot more, you know, if you were to be charged, it would be because there is a lot more evidence that we haven't seen yet tying Giuliani into the scheme. 
and it sort of smells like that's what we're going to be seeing here. <laughs> yep, I, I think that's I think that's uh, fair. I think that's fair to say. Um, I, I think th- there may be more here. I mean, everyone should know that you know beer, merely being associated with someone, even getting money from them in and of itself, is usually not a crime. What what the crime would be here is either there being a criminal agreement between him and those individuals, uh, you know, where he's part of the part of the scheme somehow that he's agreed to be to play some role in it, even if it's a small role or a, a side role or something like that. Any you're in for a dime, you're in for a dollar, so to speak, or that he aided their efforts in some way. He knew that they were doing all of this and he did something to move it forward. Um, that's that's what they've got to prove. And I think the, the investigation, they have a good basis for the investigation because, as you point out, I mean, when there's not only all you know communications and association, but money, uh, there's a good reason for federal prosecutors to take a very close look at that. And I, to me, just now, and this is an area where I think you and I may differ. To me, this first, ca- I'm saying bucket, category, however you want to look at it, this first bucket of pro- of issue for Giuliani to me is the most problematic because we know that prosecutors believe that they can prove beyond a reasonable doubt this scheme. So all they need to prove is Giuliani's involvement in it. So to me, if I'm, if I was representing Giuliani and I'm happy not to not be that person, if I was, I would be like, okay, that is the problem. Um, the biggest problem, this other stuff I'm less sure about. Is that, would that be fair? Yeah. I, well, I think that's right for a couple of reasons. It's worth clarifying one, because as you say, we already, we already see the scheme here. And now the question is, you know, is there more to the scheme, but also what, if any, is Giuliani's role in the scheme? And as we've said now, it certainly feels to us like, you know, there, that, that, that connection is going to be made. So, plus you've got, four people under arrest now who are charged with this in what seems like a strong indictment. And any one of those people could cooperate or all four of them or two of them. And that, you know, really should, should I think, uh, concern Giuliani. I mean, the, the potential for that. And, and Giuliani, of all people, knows that. And I know it's easy for them to disparage and call people rats and all that. But if these people do decide to cooperate, in order to try and, you know, work out some kind of deal for themselves, you know, that's a, a very um, formidable tool for prosecutors that will make it uh, a stronger case if they have a case against Giuliani. But then the second reason I think that this is more problematic for Giuliani than the uh, phone call, Trump, Ukrainian, you know, uh, president pressure piece of it uh, is because, and I think you said this um, on Twitter, maybe that you know, prosecutors, particularly right now in this Department of Justice, are not going to want to. They're not able to charge the president, as we know. Uh, even if they have a crime, they can prove. But they're they're go- they're going to want to keep it simpler. And if there's conduct that they can charge Giuliani with that is separate and apart from. Um, the president and sort of not get into that political, um, you know, firestorm. Um, I, I, I think they're likely to do that. I'm not saying they would avoid charging Giuliani altogether, you know, uh, if they had crimes that were readily provable just because they implicate Trump. I actually I, I think if, if the Southern District had that and could do that and were given the permission to do that by Bill Barr, they would. But, you know, the reality is that under Bill Barr, I'm frankly surprised they've been allowed to go this far, pleasantly surprised, but surprised. And so I think, you know, for, for both of those, for that reason also, 
this current um, scheme indictment uh, is is more potentially threatening to Giuliani, at least in the immediate future. Yeah, I agree, and I I, I share your views on that. I pro- I might even go further. So let's let's definitely talk about the second bucket, right? Which is his dealings with Trump. I think. Let's just say that Bill Barr was uh, teleported to to Mars or whatever. He no longer, you know, he disappeared. You know, he whatever, whatever he decided to to resign. I still think that if I was a prosecutor looking at this, or let's put it that way, if I was a prosecutor looking at this, I would want to avoid the circus with Trump in any event because I think that Giuliani would have arguments that he would make that are some of them which are valid, some of which are just purely, um, I would say, things that would might sound good to a jury but wouldn't have any legal uh, weight, but would nonetheless give him some things to say. I mean, what I think Giuliani would be saying as to, you know, this Ukrainian stuff that he was doing for Trump is, well, look, the president of the United States told me that I should be doing, you know, that this is what he wanted to do. This was his foreign policy. And the attorney general knew about this. And the Secretary of State and the State Department were involved. So I thought this was completely legitimate. I mean, that's what I think his defense would be. And if I'm a pro- that may that may be totally false. And I think we all have good reasons to believe that this was totally corrupt for various reasons. But I think that to a jury that's deciding whether to put somebody in prison, it is relevant that the president and the attorney general and the secretary of state are involved in this. It's just at a very high level. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think what I want to be careful of is saying that, you know, we don't think that um, federal prosecutors of any office, not just the Southern District of New York, um, wouldn't charge Giuliani with something because it might also implicate, you know, Trump or Barr. And I know that's not what you're saying, but I just want to be clear about that because I really do. Absolutely. uh, And again, this is all assuming that prosecutors are allowed to, you know, do how they act, how they would normally act. And, and with Barr at the helm, that's not necessarily a given at all. Um, but, you know, I think that it's a point of pride of federal prosecutors that they really try to not take politics into account one way or the other, um, whether it be, you know, helping or hurting a particular, you know, elected official that they like or don't like. But I think what you're saying is because of the fact that it might also implicate these not only high uh, visible, you know, powerful officials, but people who have like what we saw with Mueller, you know, the president has certain powers that other people don't have. And so you get in this legal, um, you know, mess, if you will, of deciphering, you know, when is it? Um, allowable presidential power and when is it not? And you saw Giuliani already trying to do that in public saying, well, I wasn't, you know, that stuff I was doing with Ukraine, there's no, there's no crime there because I was doing it the direction of the president. Again, I, I don't think that's right. And I think that it ignores the fact that the direction of the president can also still be the direction of, of, you know, foreign, obtaining foreign aid uh, in in a way, foreign assistance for your campaign, like it doesn't it doesn't negate that just because the president tells you to do it. Um, I think he's he's using Giuliani's trying to use sort of executive power there as a as a shield, um, but it is much more complicated and messy. And so I can see prosecutors wanting to say you know go down the road of kind of more traditional uh, fraud schemes that don't raise those potential constitutional issues. 
I think that's a, that's excellent. You you did a much better job than I did of explaining that point. So I'm glad that, I'm glad that you did that. I mean, because it, it's to me, and it's it's also even beyond the constitutional issues. It's just it goes. It's like a, an issue of proof in front of a jury, and and part of what you're getting at here is that, and, and part of what was I think baked into what my reaction was was that. You know, these are not th- this whole thing with Ukraine is not like a traditional crime that gets charged every day in the Southern District of New York. In other words, this isn't right. like you're just pay- paying a bribe to the local commissioner or city council member or something. This is, you know, where you're just handing uh, an envelope of cash to some guy in exchange for getting something rezoned or whatever for your building. This is like a really complicated, you know, international uh, thing where you're getting you're trying to get an investigation into your political opponent using kind of money that had been appropriated from Congress. I mean, it's grander and bigger than the, the stuff that our criminal justice system is used to dealing with. I think it would be a different thing if Giuliani had been directed by Trump to do something that is just a garden variety crime. Right. That You know, OK, please deliver this mm-hmm. cocaine. Um, uh, something right. like that, that everyone knows, okay, well, that's, that's a crime. It's, it's that I think a jury might not know what to make of all of this. And when you have a, defend, a defendant saying, yeah, I, the president told me to do, the attorney general was involved. I, you know, it gives, all you need is one juror to be confused by the whole thing. And that can potentially derail a prosecution. So it doesn't mean you're not going to, to, to charge it you know, it categorically, but what it means is it's a level of risk that you may want to avoid. And so you may want to try to charge something that is very, that you got them completely 100% clean on that. You don't have these, these issues at trial. Right. And now I feel the need to say your point, which you made so excellently in an article recently, um, I think in Politico. It was yeah, um, my co- column about, in Politico. Yeah. Yeah. That, that what you and I are talking about right now is what, prosecutors might or might not, you know, sort of opt or or decide to charge Giuliani, a private citizen with, as opposed to the question is this very separate. And I don't want anyone to misinterpret what we're saying here about Trump's conduct and whether or not it is it is rises to the level of impeachable offenses, which I won't speak for you, though. I, I think I know where you land on this. I think it's absolutely 110 percent is. Um, you know, whether or not it constitutes a federal crime, which I also tend to think you could make one out of it. But I think, you know, for Trump purposes, for the president purposes, um, we're talking about is it an abuse of power? Is it abuse of his office? Um, and I think it absolutely is to withhold military aid, to withhold a meeting that, you know, these uh uh, you know, this this foreign country uh, under pressure from what's supposed to be, you know, from Russia, what's supposed to be a, a not friendly country to us uh, to withhold all of that uh, unless and until that the Ukraine, you know, basically manufactures some dirt and reads out loud a statement that we've drafted for them uh, against Trump's political opponent, I think is you know, a hundred percent a impeachable offense. And I think even without the quid pro quo, which I think is there, but, you know, they're going to deny it even in the face of it. Um, I think it, it is as well, because you're still just soliciting help from a foreign country, not and not even legitimate help. I mean, literally asking them to hear, read this statement kind of thing, you know, putting words in their mouth. Um, and I, I, I just I think we need to make that distinction again as you have 
Yeah, thank you. And I will just say, you know, in that column, so this is a column I did, I don't know, maybe a few weeks ago now for for Politico. And in that in there, I what I what I basically say is I think the the headline they put on it, which I don't write the headlines, is something like what Trump did wasn't bribery extortion. It's worse. And that does sum up my view in that it's an it's clearly a corrupt abuse of power that's impeachable, regardless of whether it's a good quid pro quo. And but it's such a grand problem. It's really something that to me, in my mind, and I think you and I disagree on it, but it doesn't matter. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because we could spend the whole podcast discussing this issue, but I don't feel like it fits very well into the federal statutes, bribery, extortion, et cetera. I think it's harder to fit into those. And I don't think that should be the debate of whether or not it's bribery, extortion. I think, look, it's clearly an impeachable offense, no matter how you slice it. For Giuliani, I think the the point, I think for all sorts of reasons, there are reasons why prosecutors may want to avoid that. Um, And I I think we've teased that out today, but I think it helps people understand why you you may see an indictment of Giuliani for these all these unrelated things. And people may say, well, what about this core issue with Trump? And prosecutors may be happy to just, you know, leave that out because they know. And this is something that I think you and I would agree on. Prosecutors can make will make the judge aware of all of this conduct at sentencing. And the judge can include all of that at sentencing, regardless of whether or not that is the charge that Giuliani is ultimately charged and convicted with. Right. That's a good point. So one thing that I'm curious about, I mean, you know, you and I have discussed offline a little bit about the bond conditions for these uh, two gentlemen, Parvis and Fruman. Um, Can you tell us about those bond conditions and and what, if anything, you you glean from that? Um, Yeah, well, my understanding is that um, both Parnas and Fruman, you know, were, first of all, arrested, um, basically fleeing, trying to flee the country because they, I guess, knew that they somehow found out that they were being investigated, if not, you know, potentially that they were about to be arrested. Um, All signs point to it sort of having been a, okay, we got to arrest these guys now or they're going to flee the country. Um, And there hasn't really been anything I've seen to, to make that, any reporting that I've seen to make that seem not true. So that's the first fact I think that we need to establish. Federal prosecutors, again, I can speak from my own experience, but in my experience, if you arrest men, two men with significant overseas ties, um, you know, which just on the face of the indictment, I mean, they're getting money from, you know, unnamed Russian sources. Um, They have, I think, dual citizenship. Certainly, you know, they have Ukrainian citizenship. Um, I believe, and uh, they were arrested trying to flee. Those are people that really, under most circumstances, you try to detain as a prosecutor. You know, even you, you try, and, and sometimes, frankly, in those circumstances, the defendant might not even make a bail application. I mean, I've had that experience where they say, yeah, okay, you know, basically they were caught trying to flee. We're, we're not going to make a bail application at this time. But here, um, there was a $1 million bond set for them with um, some conditions in, uh, I believe, Virginia, where they were originally arrested. And then when they came here to New York uh, for their appearance, the prosecutors, it seems, again, reading you know, between the lines of the reporting, it seems like the prosecutors basically agreed to maintain that bail package of a million dollar bond, home detention, which is a very significant bail package. It is a strict bail package. It's a good bail package. 
Um, you know, I'm not saying that's nothing, but I'm a little bit surprised that they didn't argue for detention. And so it certainly um, at least raises the possibility <clears throat> that, um, in my mind, that these men are already doing some form of cooperation with the government. And that that is why, because that, that's the circumstance in which I could see agreeing to this kind of bail package for people with in this circumstance is if they were already showing themselves to be, you know, cooperative and talking and honest and, you know, you've sort of already tested things that they've said against things that, you know, um, and feel that, you know, you can then sort of add to this idea of cooperation is going to help you by then agreeing to the bail package. I could be wrong and that may not be the case, um, but that's, what my you know experience tells me right now that's interesting yeah I, you know and i will just say when you've raised this issue with me i was like wow that's really interesting i hadn't considered that um and i and i think that you're right it certainly raises that that question i mean what i would just to give context to our listeners for a moment that often in white collar cases the the bail uh the bond package is very minimal in other words you know there'll be some business uh, person or or someone like that you you know this person generally is not going to flee they have their roots there they have you know money and property and a family and everything else in that you know in new york or in chicago or wherever they're not going to go any place so they, often the judges are not going to impose significant conditions and you're right Mimi this is a very significant thing they have home detention electronic monitoring a million dollars that's very significant but um, if I was, if I had, and in fact, I did have many uh, defendants who tried to flee. And whenever I went to, uh, you, you, or the, you raised this with me, like you, I would, you know, I think you said, Mimi, that you would always be arguing for uh, detention in that circumstance. And I agree with you. I always, I can't recall ever not arguing for detention. I think I always did. And I can't imagine myself agreeing to this. Now, this may, would ultimately be where it would probably shake out. In other words, if the defense offered this package, I think the judge would probably take it uh, if there's electronic monitoring and a million dollar bond. But I think the prosecutor would always be arguing for detention. And so it does raise the question of whether or not there's cooperation. Because we didn't. And again, I mean, we have to we're relying on the reporting. I mean, I haven't heard any reporting that there was a contested bail argument like that. Um, so I think that's, you know, an important I mean, that we could be wrong. Right. Maybe there was and we just haven't heard it. But yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, very interesting. Uh, you know, let me get to some listener questions because we got some really good ones this this week. And uh, Jim Turney asks, is there a chance that the Southern District can flip former Mayor Giuliani and have him testify against his client? Uh, what, that's a really I think that's a really interesting thing that raises some big questions. What do you what's your thoughts on that, Mimi? Um, yes, I, I think, you know, the, the very short answer is yes, but it's complicated. Um, you know, I. I I, I think you alluded to this before. I, I also have I prosecuted lawyers um, and, in fact, have had uh, at least one who I can recall right now who cooperated. Um, and, you know, there's obviously I mean, the attorney client privilege is a hugely important privilege that both prosecutors, obviously defense attorneys and judges give great deference and respect to. So I'll start by saying that. But it's not absolute. And, you know, so it's something that prosecutors would have to deal with and weigh. Um, but, you know, if the attorney-client privilege is being used as a, a way to try and shield criminal conduct, 
you know, there, there's a name for that, the attorney, the uh, crime fraud exception. Um, but, you know, there, there are ways to, to pierce that privilege, basically, um, and, uh, and get cooperation. Um, but there would be have to be a lot of precautions taken. And but I do think that Giuliani in particular does, in my mind, and he's been doing this for a while, kind of abuses basically the um, term you know, attorney. He, he calls himself his lawyer, his attorney. But so much of what he's doing has nothing to do with being someone's lawyer. I mean, uh, in my mind, it's not, you know, the attorney client privilege applies to legal advice that is given from an attorney to a client. And I think a lot of the things that Giuliani is doing on Trump's behalf um, or that he claims he's doing on Trump's behalf do not even fall into that category. But again, you'd have to be really careful with the attorney-client privilege. There would be all sorts of precautions taken. You probably want a tape team and uh, of agents and prosecutors, and you, you'd really want to do it carefully, but it absolutely can be done. And I think that, you know, as we've been talking about, the, the potential for that is is here because of that second bucket of, of you know, things that we we're talking about uh, with respect to Ukraine. Yeah, this is this is such a great question. And I, your answer is always is, is, is on target. I would say that, um, you know, I've also been in this situation and it's a very complicated situation to be in. Um, for the reasons you said, I what, what, one one thing that I want to put a fine point on you are, you alluded to this is that um, much of the what I think you just said a moment ago what a lot of what Trump is uh, Giuliani is doing for Trump is not legal and what I mean he's not acting as a lawyer and it's very important so you know I'm a lawyer and Mimi's a lawyer but right now her and I are not engaged in the practice of law we're recording a podcast and our words that we say on here would not be privileged even if we weren't broadcasting them out when her and I talk on the phone we're not you know engaged in the practice of law generally when I you know talk to my you know the members of my fantasy football team were not engaged in the practice of law. And even if I have people who are my clients, but we also talk about other subjects, we're not always, that's not always a privilege. In other words, me and my clients may talk about whatever, other, other things that are going on in the world. But, you know, those conversations aren't privileged if I happen, you know, if if I'm doing things that are not related to the practice of law where they're not seeking legal advice from me. And so a lot of this stuff that Giuliani was doing for Trump with Ukraine doesn't appear to be legal in any ordinary sense of the word. It doesn't appear like he's engaged in the practice of law. And so I think that the what I think if let's say Giuliani was cooperating, if uh, his lawyer would probably take a you know do the the first way I and I've been in the situation uh, when you're the when you're the lawyer for somebody who's a lawyer like this, you're you're going through it and saying okay here's stuff that's not related to the practice of law at all, um, and that's less messy than the crime fraud exception or other other ways of getting at privileged things. And I think a lot of this stuff would just w- w- he could hand over communications with Trump because they're not they're not legal in that sense. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Giuliani will call, you know, he he certainly whether he believes that we're real or not, I don't know. But he things that he says, he certainly seems to think that anything he does um, because he's a lawyer is privileged. And that's a very, um, in my experience, sort of mob mentality, frankly. I mean, the mafia cases that I did, they often used lawyers to carry messages that had nothing to do with legal advice, but they would, you know, give a message to a lawyer. I had a 
case like this, it was largely based on uh, messages passed from one organized crime figure to another. And I don't mean like little pieces of folded up paper, but literally something that, you know, someone who was a client would say to the lawyer and the lawyer would go and uh, tell, you know, the the other figure who was also a client. Um, But it had nothing to do with legal advice. And so it wasn't privileged. But but the way that the thought was. Well, you know, the government, the prosecutors, the the FBI is less likely to try and, you know, find out what what was said to a lawyer because they know that we, you know, do care about the attorney-client privilege and aren't going to lightly go after it. Um, And so, I mean, that that feels a little bit like what's going on here is that, you know, Trump and I'm not saying he's only using Giuliani because he has the title of lawyer, but I think it made them gave them this feeling of security, of safety that, you know, well, because he's my lawyer, I, you know, whatever he's doing or whatever I tell him, no one will ever know. And that's just that's not true. I mean, for example, you know, Giuliani uh, telling people to get rid of the you know, that he didn't like the ambassador uh, Ivanovich, you know, be, be, and I, I still don't completely understand why they wanted her out, but they clearly did. That's not legal advice. None of those communications, if Trump and Giuliani talked about that, that would not be legal advice about a, a problem that, that Trump was having, I don't think. Um, and and uh, Giuliani telling other people, you know, to get rid of her, or what his views are of her, um, would not be privileged in any way. I mean, frankly, most communications from Giuliani to third parties would not be uh, privileged. So um, that's just one example, I think, of many. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right, Mimi. And I think, you know, the the point you made, I mean, I would also say another kind of well-known context in which this using lawyers to shield communications uh, came up as in the tobacco litigation, where tobacco companies uh, were using lawyers, often having lawyers looped in on communications to make, you know, communications that they would not want revealed uh, uh, to to go through attorneys. It, it's something that can, you know, is a practice that people use sometimes when there are things that they don't want the world to see or to hear about. And I will say that lawyers often, I mean, if you ask a lawyer, okay, I want some of the communications between you and your client, the, the typical reaction from a lawyer is going to be like, absolutely not. I'm not giving you anything between me and my client. You know, I think that if in this hypothetical of Giuliani cooperating, if Giuliani was actually cooperating with the government and had a very strong incentive to do so, um, you know, him and his lawyers would be able to sort of sort these things out into buckets of, well, this isn't really legal and he's not Trump's not seeking legal advice in this text or something like that. Um, okay, another question that um, that I think is an easier one to answer, but it, it's something that I can understand people being confused about is Lauren, who's a frequent listener, uh, asked, since Ukrainian laws were broken, are they also able to be tried over there or is that considered double jeopardy? No, no, I don't know. Definitely not double jeopardy. But and and also, yeah, I mean, double jeopardy would only apply in very limited circumstances if they were uh, if there was a, a, a judgment of conviction on United States laws and statutes. Um, but also, I think it's worth mentioning that just because conduct may have occurred outside of the United States, it also can be sort of part of the evidence. I mean, you can, there are ways to get that evidence and, and you can use that type of evidence here. It doesn't matter if some or even a lot of the conduct occurred elsewhere. I don't think that's the case here, but 
maybe that's worth mentioning given the question. Exactly. Um, exactly right. And it, people basically, the bottom line is double jeopardy is a lot narrower than you think it is. Another question uh, from ZZ Main is, does anyone know who is paying Rudy Giuliani to be the president's lawyer while he's being a key contact between the U.S. government and Ukraine? And I, you touched on this earlier, but I, I, might, I think what you said is it doesn't appear like he's being paid at all, right? I mean, that's certainly been the reporting that I've seen and that it has echoes of, you know, Manafort having Paul Manafort having worked as Trump's campaign manager for free. Um, if, if he has been paid, it would be news to me. But and as you pointed out, it's just, that's a very strange arrangement for a quote unquote lawyer uh, with any client. Yeah. Here's another question. Is I, I agree, uh, that I agree uh, with that as well. Here's another question. Is, uh, is there a high chance that if Giuliani was arrested, that he would get five years or more in prison? I mean, I think it's very hard for us to tell at this point. right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I mean, look, there is uh, it, it, there's so many different factors that go into sentencing. Uh, it would depend what the crimes are. It would depend if it's a financial crime, what the amount of money involved in, because as, as you know, but for your listeners, like a lot of the um, sentencing guidelines are driven by the amount of money involved in a scheme. It would, you know, you'd have things like abuse of public trust, potentially, depending on the type of crime. So there's so many different factors. It's hard to say. And frankly, you know, I worry a little bit about expectations here. I feel like one of the things that happened with the whole Russia and Mueller investigation is people got their expectations up that there was going to be this big criminal prosecution against so-and-so and so-and-so, and and then that didn't develop. I think we have to take this one step at a time. It certainly, you know, I think smells to us as former prosecutors um, that, you know, Giuliani is, you know, certainly needs a lawyer right now um, <laughs> and could very likely be, you know, facing some kind of charges. But let's let's take it one step at a time. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, and I think so. I think it's I think we're exactly we're a little early in, in the game to be kind of going that far down the road. Um, another question that a lot of people were interested in, uh, lots of likes on this one. To what extent is the the investigation hampered by Trump's noncompliance with subpoenas? Um, I, you know, it's interesting, but I'm I don't think that this investigation is being hampered by noncompliance with congressional subpoenas because this is a grand jury investigation. Was that would that be you think that's right? Yeah, I, I do think that's right. And I made this point on Twitter in a little bit of a you know sort of flip way um, when when there was some news about, you know, uh, Giuliani's uh, financial records being subpoenaed. And I, I think I said something like, you know, this is a subpoena even Republicans can't blow off or something like that. And what <laughs> I meant by that is that there is in reality in the world, the real world, a difference between a congressional subpoena and a grand jury subpoena, because a grand jury subpoena, I think, still carries a different weight because it has it, it, in by, meaning in this world that we live in with, you know, that the Department of Justice is not going to enforce congressional subpoenas right now, period. But the Department of Justice is going to enforce its own grand jury subpoenas. And so if someone doesn't comply, and of course, there's always negotiation about return dates and things like that. But if someone doesn't respond to a subpoena, they truly can be brought before a judge and held in contempt in very short order. And that contempt can include and, and, ha- and often does include prison time, um, you know, you can be put in prison until you comply with the subpoena for the life of the grand jury. Um, and that is not a tool that, you know, 
prosecutors use lightly, but it's also not something that they would shy away from doing in an important case uh, in a legitimate subpoena. So I think that here, you know, first of all, these subpoenas are harder to ignore. And I think second of all, um, a lot of the material that they're trying to get is not, you know, directly from Giuliani. I mean, it's from banks and financial institutions, it sounds like. It sounds like they already have a lot of evidence, as, as the prosecutor mentioned yesterday to the judge. Um, so I, I don't think in this case it, it's being hampered by Trump noncompliance, like in the tax, you know, with respect to tax records and the other state criminal investigation. Yeah, I think, you know, people comply with subpoenas when they believe that there's because in part because or large part, I think, because they believe there is an enforcement mechanism. And you're completely right that the enforcement mechanism is much different as to grand jury subpoenas. One, one another question I thought was very good was how much does Giuliani know at this point about the substance of the investigation? Uh, because they're concerned this per, the, Julie, uh, this is Julie Gogrin. She's concerned is any, you know, maybe there's people left in the SDNY from Giuliani's days there. Uh, what, what do you what do you make of that? I would not have any concern whatsoever about. First of all, I don't think there is anyone left in the SDNY <laughs> for what it's worth. But yeah. I, I, you know, to the extent that there are leaks from law enforcement and investigations, I, I'm, I'm not going to say never, but, you know, almost never, ever come from the prosecutors or someone in the prosecutor's office. They more often, if they happen, come from you know, FBI agents or uh, court personnel that, you know, sees something or or things like that. So I don't think that it it would come from the Southern District of New York if there was any kind of information. And I really don't think in this atmosphere, well, I'm not going to be naive enough to say that the New York FBI, you know, never leaks uh, information. I I do not. and, And there is some public reporting about supposedly some, you know, relationship between that office and Giuliani in the past and information uh, that might have gone to him about the investigation against Hillary Clinton. I don't know if that's true or not. I have no knowledge personally about it. But um, I, I just don't think in this circumstance, in this environment, that anyone would even risk doing that. Um, the New York FBI is working this case. They seem to be working it diligently. And, you know, they, they when when the announcement was made about this indictment, the head of the New York FBI office made a really powerful, strong statement about you know, the importance of the case and, and, you know, that nobody is above the law. And, you know, I, I take, tend to take those things at face value. So I, I don't think Giuliani necessarily knows more about the case than what we all have seen, except what he knows in his own head about what he may have done. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I will say, I would say, you know, we certainly have no evidence that there's been any leaks. I understand why people are concerned because, is, as you mentioned, there's been reporting about the New York field office of the FBI, uh, you know, leaking to Giuliani, whether that's accurate or not. But there were have there were concerns about that within the FBI. I think Comey was concerned about that at the time. Um, and so that is, the, you know, during the 2016 election. So there, I could understand why people have those concerns. There's no evidence of that at this point. I think, though, that people should be aware that folks like Giuliani can become aware of some substance of the investigation through, for example, subpoenas. If they learn about a subpoena to a friend or associate of theirs, they can learn about the substance of it from, you know, 
associates who were interviewed or were approached by the FBI. Uh, for example, I imagine that Parvis and Furman are sharing, their attorneys are sharing some of the discovery that they receive in their criminal case with Giuliani. I would be surprised if they didn't. Um, so, you know, that's how a person on the, uh, who is being under investigation finds out about things. Generally, it's a black box uh, for the most part, other than what they learned through those methods. And so uh, for someone like Giuliani, you know, he was making these statements like, I don't know, I'm under investigation. I, they haven't approached me. You know, that doesn't really surprise me all that much because usually when people are under investigation, um, I wouldn't say they're the last ones to know, but they, they're not. Let's put, let me put it this way. They're not the first ones on the list of people to notify, to put it mildly. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, right? You, you want to keep the investigation covert for as long as um, possible. You know, and it's interesting. I would have to say, you know, if I had to sum up our questions, I think a lot of our listeners are just trying to figure out why the heck is Rudy doing this? Like, why would he ever want to do it? And I think that's where we started, uh, Mimi, because I don't think either you or I have figured that out. I think that's right. I mean, I, although I, you know, I think um, we did touch a little bit on, on a potential motive, which is that he, you know, there are some indications that, that Giuliani's having financial problems um, and people tend to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do when that's the case. Um, and also, you know, his behavior publicly over the past two years, he seems um, kind of, and there may be a, a joke in here somewhere, but drunk with power. Um, uh, you know, it was because of his association, close association with Trump, um, who himself has felt untouchable for, uh, you know, obvious reasons, because he, he really hasn't been held accountable for a lot of things. Um, and I think Giuliani has, has sort of um, also adopted that that view of himself. That's that's my little psychoanalysis there of Giuliani. But um, but we'll see. Um, you know, part of it depends, again, what the crimes are. It's hard to figure out the motive. But th- those two things, I think, may play into it. Yeah, I mean, I will just say, you know, you you had a clever pun. A lot of journalists have asked me about, you know, you know, these there's these whether you call them rumors or allegations about, you know, potential alcoholism. I I have no knowledge of anything like that uh, regarding uh, Mr. Giuliani. But I will say I've been on set with him at CNN. He didn't appear impaired, but I was struck by the 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 I was struck by how he just appeared to be totally winging it on the air. I mean, here's a man representing the president of the United States going on national television and he appeared to literally be just sort of talking out of his butt, you know, just whatever came to mind, he would just, he just say, you know, and uh, wasn't prepared, wasn't disciplined at all. And I can't imagine a more incongruent picture between what I was seeing before my eyes in the person's resume. In other words, the resume of this man is as someone who's very serious, who's had these positions of great consequence, uh, and what I saw in front of me uh, did not bear any resemblance to that. And and there have been quite a few people who knew Giuliani, worked with Giuliani. There was an op-ed recently, I, I forget his name, but a very, like I thought, thoughtful, well-written op-ed by someone who, uh, I believe worked on his campaign for him uh, as mayor. Um, there have been former prosecutors who knew him, you know, as the U.S. attorney, um, who've said, you know, this is th- this person we see publicly is just not the man we knew. And so, you know, it, that that's that's striking. And again, we don't know the reasons for the change, um, but when you have that many people who, at one, you know, are are people who want to support and compliment him. I mean, this person who worked on his campaign, I think, and in his, maybe even in his administration as mayor, is that I was defending Giuliani up until 
recently, but he's just gone too far now. So I think that's worth uh, mentioning. Well, it's interesting. I I think we're both going to be watching what happens in the weeks to come. Thank you so much for joining us, Mimi. I really appreciate it. It's been so, it's always interesting. I always learn from speaking with you. And I do from you as well. And this is certainly uh, an interesting topic. So let's see what happens next. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Topic. Please subscribe to this podcast. Go to your app and review the podcast and join us for our next episode. I'm Renato Mariotti. Until next time, let's stay on topic. 